0: The school year is quickly approaching, so it's a good time to think about different education systems, and we are entering into the third of our education interview series. The final interview today is with Emily Saxon. Emily is a classical school teacher, and um, I don't know, Emily, what's your official title with Memoria Press?
1: I don't have one.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Intern over the summer.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you're a summer intern and you teach during the school year. Well, either way, I'm here with Emily Saxon. Now, Emily's husband Shane has been on our church podcast two times. Once he talked about genre, and then the last time he talked about friendship. So it's nice to have you, Emily, on the podcast as well.
1: Thank you. It's a real family affair.
0: (laughs) So, Emily, really briefly, maybe you can tell us uh, where you're at and then who you work for and um, what education system you've been in for a little while.
1: Yeah, so I am a teacher. I teach sixth grade at Highlands Latin School, which is in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, As you might have heard from Shane on previous podcasts, I did listen to them. I just don't remember now. Uh, He said why he was in Kentucky. He attended Southern Seminary. So we're down here for that. I've been with them for the last, um, it'll be five years this year.
0: Wow.
1: Um, Yeah. So classical school for the for the first time, not my background.
0: Yeah. So Uh, maybe fill us in on your background.
1: Yeah. So I attended really small private Christian schools all growing up, kindergarten through bachelor degree, actually, Um, a couple of different ones. But I had the privilege to do that. My parents really sacrificed a lot for my sisters and I to be able to have that education. And I knew that, um, all growing up, but I was just a small Christian school girl kind of in that bubble that maybe we can talk about a little bit later, but I, uh, took away a lot from those schools. I felt like I was prepared well for college, but then again, I was a pretty good student. And so that wasn't really a, a big question, uh, mm-hmm. to my parents or myself. But there were some really obvious things that I took away from that really helped me and are helping me to be a better teacher today. Um, I took away a huge love for certain subjects, uh, things like history. I majored in history. And so that was something that some teachers really instilled in me. Um, But more than that, uh, probably my favorite thing about growing up in that culture um, small Christian school culture. My teachers just caused me to be really passionate about wanting to teach, and mm-hmm. so I just always assumed that that's what I was going to do. I had wanted to be a teacher for years, um, and so when we when I graduated from Maranatha, where I attended, um, met you mm-hmm. and uh, met my husband and everything else, uh, I was really excited to get into small Christian school teaching, mm-hmm. and I did for a year um, in Louisville. And that was really exciting. Um, But my first and foremost love when I came to Louisville was wanting to work for Highlands Latin School. Uh, And when they called me halfway through my first year of teaching, I was so excited to get the opportunity to teach with them. And so a lot has had to change in my philosophy of education uh, Uh, in order to in order to work there. And it's been a really great learning curve for me.
0: Yes. Now, when you were at Maranatha, what was your major?
1: I was a social studies education major.
0: Okay. Social studies education. And Mm -hmm. um, what subjects are you teaching now?
1: So as a sixth grade teacher, I teach in a self-contained classroom. So I'm teaching all of the subjects. Um, Latin all the way through the maths, the sciences, the studies, everything else.
0: Okay, well, I want to ask you what classical education is, and um, maybe, as you've alluded to a little bit, you can contrast that a little bit with Christian education, or um, in your experience what a classical Christian education would be. I think um, sometimes those worlds start to overlap a little bit, or there are attempts made to overlap them, uh, but per- perhaps you can fill us in on, on all of those things.
1: Well, buckle up, because there's a okay. lot. Of- <laughs> um, okay, classical education. What even is classical education? I I would have had a very different answer for this, um, you know, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think the answer that most people are assuming uh, when they hear classical education, if they're familiar with it at all, which a lot of people are not, but if they are familiar, they are thinking of Dorothy Sayers' model Uh, of the Mm -hmm. three, the three stages, grammar, logic, rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. And those stages correspond to development of children. And so they teach at a young age that the grammar stage is where you learn the facts and the logic stage is where you learn how to think about them. And the rhetoric stage is where you learn how to express them. So that's kind of the model that most people think of when they think of classical education. But that is not classical education. Um, And at least not the way that my school and the curriculum that we use, we write our own curriculum. We have a publishing company attached to our school, which is where uh, my husband Shane works. Mm -hmm. But classical education is really an education that is based on the ancient civilizations of Greece and Rome. Um, That can sound a little bit strange to people. They're going to say, why are you just focusing on two ancient civilizations? But the education structure Mm -hmm. that the ancient Greeks and the Romans had um, created the basis for what we've been doing in education for hundreds of years now. Um, They focused on, so the Greeks focused on culture, right? Teaching philosophy and teaching um, what it looked like to love literature and poetry and, and, and the written word, excuse me, and the expressed word. And then the Romans took what they did. They continued with that. They were, they were using the language of the Greeks even. And then we have Latin introduced and they were creating government structures. Mm-hmm. So not only do we have culture, but now we have a political culture as well. That continued on through the Middle Ages um, after the fall of Rome, you know, around the turn of the of the century, 1000 AD-ish. Um, it continues on into the Middle Ages and it, it continues on as the seven liberal arts. So here's where you kind of have your, your interaction, your kind of intersection with what Dorothy Sayers was saying, mm-hmm. because after, you know, inside that middle age time period, and then what has continued are these seven liberal arts of grammar, logic, and rhetoric, which are studies rather than stages. Mm-hmm. And then that's called the, tr- the trivium. And then you have your quadrivium, which is your astronomy, music, um, geometry, and arithmetic. So We are focusing our education on studies that have stood the test of time that have been around for centuries um, and creating that as the basis of everything that we teach. And of course, ancient Greece and Rome, specifically when you look at the philosophers of ancient Greece um, in particular, you have them epitomizing what it means to study goodness, truth, and beauty. Mm -hmm. And so that also ties into what you were talking about with what does a Christian classical education look like? Um, A Christian classical education would then add a third civilization that we study, and that is the study of the ancient Israelites, uh, the people of God. Um, and so, not only do we get to study the philosophy and the culture of these great Greeks and Romans, who were essentially pagan, right, in the things that they did and their their mythology of gods and everything, but then we get to funnel that through the study of the Israelites and how goodness, truth, and beauty were personified in Christ Himself. Mm-hmm. So, Christian education is very different from classical education, but I think that classical Christian education tends to lend more towards each other. Um, and how they work well together, one helping the other.
0: Sure. So um, in your approach to classical education or the school where you're at, where, how, how would that position itself in terms of um, like the Doug Wilson classical education school in some of these things, if you know
1: I don't know about that. I mean, our school—it kind of feels sometimes like Highlands is a little bit on an island. Um, at least if you're if you're not familiar with the with the format that we use, I would say that our school is is particular in that the, the curriculum that we use is so fundamental and foundational to Highlands Latin School. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that a lot of the other schools around Doug Wilson School, things like that. Circe is a really popular. Um, classical education curriculum and and you've got lots of schools around the around the country that have their wonderful latin uh, that's in their title, and there may be more a Latin school, so they're focusing on that, not necessarily Christian.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think for us, this big difference that we have is that we we have this curriculum, this scope and sequence of what we want our students to be able to attain, and that can be attained at a homeschool level. The curriculum is is honestly written for for homeschool families to be able to use, but then also being taken into into a school. So that might not be the best answer to that question, but I think we. We fall slightly slightly different perhaps in, in how we're teaching is yeah. maybe the same, yep. the, the structure of what we're teaching essentially, but the specifications of our curriculum are perhaps a little bit different.
0: Okay. And my experience in classical school is very, very limited. And I think you know that I taught for one year. I uh, yes. taught Greek at a classical Christian school. Um, but I think the first reading that I was given there was Dorothy Sayer's The Lost Tools of Learning. And, mm-hmm. and I believe that the school was structured using the trivium as um like stages of learning. Yes. Um and it sounds like that's quite a bit different than than what your practice is. I
1: mean, I think when you look at it, the stages are helpful. They are tools in in how you educate your students. Um, But at the end of the day, that's not what classical education is. Mm -hmm. So we do call our third through sixth grade the grammar school. We call it the grammar school. They are in the grammar stage, as Dorothy Sayers would say, right, Mm -hmm. where they are at an age where memorization is accessible and easy, and they don't really know how to think yet. And so you're just giving them really good things to think, to know. These are facts. Mm-hmm. So it's a very factual age, right? A lot of arithmetic, a lot of uh, just basic things. We don't call our upper school the logic and the rhetoric stage, though, or the logic school and the rhetoric school. It's just what is being taught in those grades. So mm-hmm. starting in seventh grade, our students at Highlands Latin School are learning traditional logic, Um It it might be eighth grade. Honestly, I don't really remember what grade they started in, but Mm -hmm. it's in one of those early ages that they're learning traditional logic. So they're learning not just what to think now, but how to think about what they know. Mm -hmm. Um, Their composition is starting to become a lot more argument and opinion based of, all right, well, if you take this thing, how do you think about that? And then of course, that's kind of working hand in hand with rhetoric, being able to express themselves. So by the time they graduate, uh, they are able to express themselves in both a verbal and a written form. So mm-hmm. we follow a, a, a similar pattern, perhaps, but it's not quite so rigid on okay. the stages.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you've talked a little bit about the philosophy of education of classical what edu- classical education is. Um, it, do you, in your own teaching, tweak that philosophy at all, or has that philosophy really tweaked your previous teaching philosophy?
1: Yeah, I would say perhaps a better way to word that is how much I have not tweaked things, okay. you know, how how it has shaped my own teaching. But my my first year of teaching was at a, a small or er, smaller private Christian school. And I was told, you know, you need to have a technological piece to your lesson every week and you mm-hmm. need to Uh, have this part and you need to make these modifications. And here's a student with these issues that you need to be able to figure out. And there were so many extra things I had to do. And the school did not have a good scope and sequence for what they were doing. They didn't have a good curriculum plan as to where they were headed. And I was left with so many questions of, well, I, you've given me the textbook but I don't really know what you want me to teach these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't seem to care the way in which I teach it. And I tend to be a very gregarious teacher. And so people can, I, I can maybe fake it a lot when you walk mm-hmm. in my classroom, like, oh, I look like I know what I'm doing. But inside I'm wondering, is this, is this exactly how you want me to do it? Yep. And when I when I got accepted to come and teach at Highlands Latin School, I was amazed at how little they wanted me to do. They handed me a massive curriculum, Mm -hmm. but then they said, we've got this. We figured it out for you. We Mm -hmm. have lesson plans for you. We have exactly what we want you to teach, the order we want you to teach it. You just need to go in here and now be the one who knows the things and help the students to know the things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't have to add all these extra things to your schedule, to your day, to your lessons. You are the one that we are entrusting. And so get to know this curriculum and then just share it with your students. And I was given a lot more freedom in that. Um, And so when my students come into my classroom now, instead of me trying to come up with activities to keep them entertained, I have an excellent body of content for them to know. And I just now have to translate that to them. And so every year I'm tweaking my own Understanding, yep. right? And so I'm learning and growing and becoming a better teacher because I'm able to communicate uh, mm-hmm. our curriculum better.
0: Yeah. So, what were some of the biggest adjustments you had to make in teaching with that curriculum, whether that's learning a, an, a language that you're teaching or something else?
1: I definitely had to learn a language. So, Latin, uh, I had zero experience with. And okay. now I am teaching not not a high form of Latin, advanced in any way, but I'm teaching one of the one of the last grammar books to them, okay. and so it's it's more advanced grammar than than beginning Latin. Um, so that was a big thing. I had never done that before, and I did get to do it slowly. They didn't just throw me right into third form Latin, but I got there really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no desire to teach math or science, zero desire whatsoever, but huh. I got hired to teach a (laughs) self-contained classroom. So I was required to teach math and grammar and composition and, and all of these subjects that I was very uneasy about. Mm -hmm. Um, It took a while to figure out how to do that. Well, I remember my first year and I've even talked about my principal uh, this year helping me with it again, but learning how to transition. I mean, when you're teaching older grades, the bell rings and your transition is they all file out of your classroom. And then the new, new group comes in But in a contained classroom, you're learning how to go from one subject where you might have been talking about heavy weighty things and you've got to now transition into math Mm -hmm. and do that well in a way that isn't jarring and a way that is smooth and fluid. And that was a lot harder than I thought. So Uh I think the biggest things that some of them are practical content. I Mm -hmm. had to learn the content, but then also just learning how to teach a younger grade which I had never anticipated teaching and then becoming a master of my content. And Mm. that was, that was challenging. Mm.
0: Yeah. I bet. It sounds like it. Um, academically speaking, what are some of the benefits to classical education or that, Uh, or what are the benefits that classical education brings to the table?
1: What aren't the benefits? Am I right? (laughs) Uh, academically speaking, classical students. So students who have a classical education, at least at Highlands Latin school, I have very little experience at other classical schools. So I'm, I can only go off of the incredible model that the mm-hmm. school that I work for uses, but academically speaking, our students are incredible students. Like just from a really young age, the things that they know they the body of content that they know is really astounding. Um, I teach sixth grade, and so every year our 11- and 12-year-olds recite the poem, Horatius at the Bridge. And the poem in full is 70 stanzas, which, Mm. if one is reciting it at a normal speed, will take approximately 17 minutes to recite. Wow. Okay, that's an 11- and 12-year-old. And though they have the choice to do that, or 24 stanzas, which would take about, you know, seven or eight minutes to recite— it's still a huge thing for a student to do. And it's mm-hmm. like this, this goal that we pump up in their head. This is an exciting opportunity. Well, then you have students who are learning Greek and Latin. And then you have, you look at our seniors that are graduating, composing their speech, that their end of the year kind of culmination is them giving a speech that's written in Latin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's not just about the Latin, they're learning how to work really, really hard. They're learning that excellence is a standard that can be met and should always be strived for, um, they're learning that virtue is absolutely paramount to the human experience. Uh, and that is goodness, truth, and beauty being Mm -hmm. three of the, the, like the three important virtues, right? That is pervasive in our curriculum. It doesn't matter what subject we're teaching. We're teaching goodness, truth, and beauty. And so academically speaking, when our students graduate from Highlands Latin School, we have created a whole person, a whole being that is not just academically trained, but is also somebody who is trained to look for and search for virtue in Mm -hmm. what they're, what they're doing and how they're living and to search for vice and how to counteract that. Um, And then of course, at a Christian classical school, you're, you're teaching where all that is found, right? Mm -hmm. That is all found in Christ. And so that's being that's training them in as being not only just a good citizen and a good person but a good a good follower of Christ. So you are classical school classical education just gives students so many tools that they need uh, mm-hmm. to go on and do other things. And academically it can kind of seem closed-minded maybe to some they're never going to learn they don't, they don't need to know latin so I'm not going to send them to a latin school. But the things that they are taking away with them the perseverance, the effort, the the actual talents that they are taking away uh, that aren't just a report card but Mm -hmm. are so much more, I think, are really what make classical education such an important thing.
0: Yeah. So so then what would be some of the potential weaknesses of a classical education model?
1: Well, I think the biggest things that people are going to say, I could probably boil it down to three things that I hear people talk about that are like, oh, well, you don't have that. Uh, One is technology. At least at the school that I'm at, we don't use a lot of technology, Okay, um, especially in lower grades. You're not going to walk into our classroom and see a smart board or a document camera or uh, see teachers using PowerPoints and putting things up on a screen and watching videos. or like You're not going to see those things in our classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, we have far too much to accomplish, but we do live in a technological age. And so a lot of parents coming in are going to question and say, why aren't you then immersing them in that you know why aren't you teaching them how to use it well um so i think that's one thing we don't do we don't do a lot of technology and perhaps that's different in other classical schools but uh definitely true of ours that it's it's very low Mm -hmm. we also don't um we don't have a lot of extra classes so i know specifically if you're at a public school and a lot of christian schools are going down this way as well they want to have very practical classes for their students you know got your woodworking class and your sewing class and your I mm-hmm. had a home economics class, and I did not graduate that long ago, so it might still be a thing. Um, and you've just got all these little practical things that are supposed to help them to figure out what they want to do, and be so hands-on, and, and prepare them for college or the workforce. And we just don't have those. We have we have a lot to accomplish in our time, and so we don't have time to do all the a, a lot of frivolous things. Um, and that is a big downside to a lot of people. They're going to say, why aren't you studying this? Why aren't you preparing my student with this? Uh, another part of that is, you know, why don't they have more foreign languages? We mm-hmm. teach them Latin. We teach them Greek. But why aren't they getting Spanish? They can't speak Latin or Greek. Yep. Uh, you know, all those other things. So that's another a drawback that a lot of people have. Um and I think the last drawback would be that it is very rigorous, or it should be very rigorous. I think our curriculum, in particular, is very demanding in mm-hmm. an excellent way, um, but that deters a lot of people who have students who perhaps are not going to perform to that standard, um, and that that can be that can be really hard. That can be a hard thing, a hard conversation to have. So, technology, academic rigor, and not offering the kinds of classes that they're looking for, I think are some of the biggest uh, drawbacks to most families.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think when I was teaching, I heard some of those as well. I taught Greek. And so I would regularly have the question of why are we learning Greek? You know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense. And I think there's definitely something to some brain development pieces in learning any language that are there yeah. that people recognize, but the utility of it in not being able to speak Greek, you know, or, yeah. or, you know, not running into anyone who speaks ancient Greek is something that maybe causes some to devalue or, or would deter them from pursuing that education. But yeah. Um, so. I think in our area, I don't know about your area, but around here, there are a lot of charter schools that follow a classical education model. There are also privately funded charter schools that are generally, you know, or privately funded classical schools that are generally Christian in nature. Um, but as as Christian parents think about sending their children to school or, or pursuing a classical education, I think all— parents want to raise their children to know the Lord and to understand the world as God's world and to operate it in it in a proper way. Um, how, how do you think that classical education helps them to do that?
1: So I, I feel like I've said it a lot, but it's kind of the, the foundation piece and that mm-hmm. is the virtues of goodness, truth and beauty. And I, I think that classical education what the education that I'm teaching to my students is doing more than the education that I received, even though the education I received was Christian, right? Mm-hmm. I went to a private Christian school and they were telling me to, you know, well, God wouldn't want you to do that and we should obey God and uh, learning Bible stories and, and things like that. What I'm doing in my curriculum is constantly drawing students to see things that they are not naturally going to see that that does need to be taught. I I think that in our, in our sinful hearts, we are constantly thinking towards selfishness and sin. Right. And so there is, there, there's lots of change that has to be made to start shaping a heart towards seeing what is good, uh, what is true, what is beautiful. And while all of those culminate in Christ himself, um, They can be seen in so many other areas because we do live in a world. And so goodness and truth and beauty can be seen in reading Anne of Green Gables and watching how Anne is just in love with the nature around her. And is it an explicitly Christian book in all of its morals and doctrines that it's saying? It it is a Christian book, but uh, it's not explicit in saying, wow, I just can't believe that God created this whole world. I'm so amazed. Mm No, no looking out her window and just exclaiming, man, I have this feeling inside of me. And I'm not sure how to describe it. But I just love seeing the world around me. Mm -hmm. And I get to stop with my students and say, Okay, guys, what does that mean? What is Anne saying when she when she says that that she has this ache in her very soul, because she's so happy. And every year we talk about the idea that CS Lewis would say about this saying suit idea, Mm -hmm. we're creating for something more. And, and there's a longing in us because we are not complete until we find full rest in Christ as Augustine would say. And so there's just so many aspects of our curriculum that are allowing me to shape my students to know and understand. And by no means am I the one that believes that it's my duty to create them into these, the Christian models that their parents want them to be. I think that that Mm -hmm. is a uh, a thing that the church needs to be doing and the home needs to be doing. But if the school can be a place where students are being taught how to think and how to be people that are noticing virtue around them and how they can create that in their own lives. And everything goes back to that. Our, our code of conduct at our school talks about um, the things we want our students to do and and they all are virtue based Mm-hmm. hospitality based, manner based. So if, if whether we're standing up in class, and we're reciting a Latin paradigm, or they're cleaning up their snack at the end of lunchtime, or we are having a deep discussion about wonder and Anne of Green Gables, it doesn't matter what aspect we're doing during the day, because I'm so focused on creating a whole being and a whole person. I am constantly constantly looking for goodness and truth and Mm -hmm. beauty in all of those situations. So we're going to stand up straight while we recite and we're going to recite with excellence and we're going to leave our place looking better because we want to be good citizens and we're going to talk about beauty in a way that reflects the character of God himself. And that is a massive uh, joy and incredible opportunity for students that I don't think all all curriculums are doing and I don't think all schools are doing because they're maybe focused on, on not the right thing, on a lot of good things, but maybe not the most important thing.
0: Yeah, I, I could um, hear the objection to what you're saying, uh, this objection. If if you're educating children in a way that's just connecting them to things that happened thousands of years ago and you're just so like focused on, virtue and in chasing after the good, the true and the beautiful, aren't you just teaching them not to actually fully be in our world and, and operate in the world? I, I could see that objection raised. Um, but what, what would you say to that?
1: Well, I'm sure that objection is raised constantly. Uh, that objection is raised in my class constantly, where I have my students say, this doesn't matter. Why are mm-hmm. we talking? About- That's not relevant. I think the first thing I would say is that we have a culture today that is constantly trying to reinvent things. We're constantly trying to make things new. And while that's not a bad thing to, to be present and to enjoy the things that this world has to offer today, all of the new technology and the new advances and the new books and the new, you know, all the things. Mm-hmm. It is not. It is wonderful to have those be a part of your life. But the same things that we're focusing on, the reason why we're still teaching that way, the reason why we are still trying to focus on goodness and truth and beauty and, and, and talk about it through the lens of maybe things that happened hundreds of years ago, is because all of those things are still true today. They're not, they haven't gone away. Am I reading an Anne of Green Gables book that was published in 1900? Yes, I am. But do I actually want my student to look outside in nature? And are there still books being written today that are going to talk to them about nature being beautiful? Yes. Uh, Are we learning Latin to learn discipline and rigor? And could they do that by learning Spanish? They could, but there are lots of other arguments that we could talk about for learning Latin. Uh, And that's only one of them. Mm -hmm. All of the arguments that people would have today for, well, you're just teaching them something that's very archaic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. But all of those archaic truths and values are true of today. And I don't know about the progressive way of education today. I don't know how that's going to work out because we haven't seen it work out. But Mm -hmm. we have seen for hundreds of years that students who are taught in this particular manner with these particular subjects are given a very round View of the world and of themselves and of content and how to interact with it. Mm -hmm. And they are great people. uh, And we're creating good students and hopefully good citizens. And you're changing your sphere a little bit at a time, slowly, slowly, slowly. And I don't know if progressive education always has that view Mm -hmm. uh, in mind, maybe like an an end goal for what they're trying to do. And they certainly don't have all of their theories and ideas proved for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So we at least have that going for us for right
0: now. Yeah, I think one of the things I appreciated uh, about the classical education world that I was in for just a little bit is that even though on the surface, it might seem like everything is about being archaic, um, it it actually, I think, is helping students live more fully in the, the world now. And they might not be up to date on, you know, the technology or something like that in certain areas. But it it seems like that pursuit of the good and the beautiful that they're being directed on is something that's going to enable them to live more fully in life right now.
1: Yeah, because there's a difference, right, between living fully and being up to date. Mm -hmm. And I would say that I am not up to date on all the current trends and issues and things that are going on. But if I know how to recognize things around me and be somebody who is living in a full way, then I am perhaps getting more out of it than others around me who are so focused on on a small thing or even self-focused.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, in our interview series, I've talked with a teacher in the public school system, a homeschool teacher, and then now you in the classical realm. And um, I think... We all know that families in churches make different choices in education. They operate in different ways for different reasons, and some parents will even do different systems for their different children. You know, it's not that all of their kids will participate in the same education system. So, what what advice would you have for church members who are relating to each other and who are approaching education in different ways? or um, at least the outworking of it looks different for their children? Yeah,
1: I think that's such an important question. Uh, we live in a very divisive, kind of polarizing world today, um, as is being in so many aspects of our life. And education is one of those, you know, education is one of those things where parents will make a decision and all of a sudden, you know, 50 people are jumping on them for this decision that they made. And I think that first and foremost, my encouragement to parents, even parents that are at our school and are are sitting in front of me crying, wondering, do I keep my student here? What do I do? I feel like they're failing. I'm not sure what to do is always you ought to know your child best. You know, your child best. You know what is possible for them, what they're capable of, what your family is capable of. Um, thankfully, I have been in Minneapolis, so I do know that there are so many good options around them. Mm-hmm. Uh I happen to know that public school teacher and know that she's incredible. Uh, And I wish that I could send my kids to be Mm -hmm. in her fourth grade class because it would be amazing. And I know there's amazing classical schools in the area. And there are so many parents who are homeschooling their children. And there's just lots of options available. So, of course, that conversation is maybe different if there aren't a lot of options available. And you have to give a lot of extra grace when... You know, there's a terrible public school system, or there's no classical school in the area. So that's not even an option mm-hmm. uh, at that point, you know. But when it is, when you do have all of those options present, to trust that parents are making the best decision for their kid. Uh, and so if you're a parent who is thinking through what you need to do with your children, you know how to make the best decision for them. And you have to take into account so many things. So be encouraged in that. Um, but also, I think this is maybe the most important thing, the thing that I am very passionate about and hoping and praying that um, should my husband and I have children, that we are able to do this part well. And that is that education begins and ends in the home. Mm -hmm. It does not begin and end in the school. And so regardless of what thing you have chosen for your family and for your particular student, and it might be different for different children, and it might be different year to year, but regardless of that, education begins in the home. And so you have the opportunity to take what they're learning in school and then bring it home and apply it and and talk to them even more. And let's say you don't have the money to go to a classical school. So they're in a public school system, which is great. But then they come home and you get to read with them the good books and you talk with them and and, and do a Latin course over the summer, you know, just little things that you can do. To help make sure that your students are getting a full education, regardless of where they're physically attending, um, because it really is a partnership between parents and teachers, between parents and the church, in order to fully educate children uh, and grow them to be good Christians, good citizens, good siblings, good children, good employees. It's a it's a massive partnership, and no one school is going to do that fully for them. No homeschooling is going to do that full. You know, it, it's it's all in tandem working together. So mm-hmm. just encouraging parents that you're not making a mistake if you choose something different for your child um, because you know it's best for them, but also take what you can and make sure that home is the place where they are educating and and learning from maybe the most um, because you have such great power with them in the years that they're with you.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I was talking with somebody recently who whose children go to public school but over the summers they have a list of, of some of the great books and they have a different list for each of the kids and if they read through the whole thing then they have a big thing that they'll do to celebrate and it's it's grabbing yeah. on to that education all all year round um, but Emily I appreciate you sharing with us about classical education this has been informative and helpful so thank you for taking the time to talk with us
1: you're so welcome.
0: This brings us to the conclusion of our education interview series, but it doesn't bring us to our conclusion about thinking about education in the church and in our lives. And we want to, as a church, be involved in the education system in our town. And so we are working on a backpack stuffing event We will have more details for the members of Resurrection Church as we seek to provide backpacks and resources to children at schools in our area. You can learn more about Resurrection Church at www.resurrectionmn.org.